Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So back in 2004, when Sarah and I got married, we, we were really right on the beginning edge of uh, couples not using those traditional wedding songs in their ceremony. And, and so while Sarah and I, we wanted to stick with some of the traditional songs, we decided to pick something different for our recessional song at the end of the ceremony. Uh, and, and of course, the, the traditional song that's usually played at the end of the ceremony is Mendelssohn's Wedding March. You, you might still hear that today in TV shows or on, on movies. Uh, but we wanted to pick something different. We wanted to pick something unique. And, and really, the choices, the options were endless. And let me tell you, I lobbied really, really hard for We Are the Champions by Queen. Right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. We share our kiss. We turn around and face everyone there. We raise our hands up into the air. We are the champions, my friend, right? Sarah was not on board with that. (laughs) And so while we did not go with we are the champions, we went with Handel's Hallelujah Chorus, uh, which still kind of provided the laugh that I wanted. Uh, So as humans, music tends to be a big part of our life. Uh, there, there may be songs that we go to when we're feeling sad. There may be songs that we go to in times of celebration, like a wedding day. Songs have the power to bring back memories into our life, to, to bring up memories from the past, and, and they even have the ability to cheer us up when we're feeling down. Music just tends to be a big part of our life. So this morning, we're launching into this new series titled A Soundtrack for Life, and, and as we're going through the series, we're just going to uh, look at 10 different songs in the book of Psalms. Each week we're going to look at a different psalm, a different song in the book of Psalms. And just as songs might speak to us in our life at at different times in our life, we're going to allow not just these songs to speak to us, but we're going to allow, because these these songs are a part of God's Word, we're going to allow God's Word to speak to us each and every week. So if you have your Bible today, you can turn with me to Psalms chapter 5. Psalms chapter 5, it's only 12 verses in total, so we're going to read the entirety of Psalms chapter 5 today, Psalms 5, 1 through 12. Now, as you're turning there, let me just set this up for you. Psalms chapter 3, 4, and 5 are all connected to the revolt of David's son, Absalom. At the time that this particular psalm was written, David was reigning as king, and Absalom had set himself up as a judge in Jerusalem, and and he had begun to give out promises to the people of what he would do if he were king instead of his father, if he were on the throne instead of his father. And so after about four years, he secretly arranged to have himself proclaimed as king. Well, one doesn't simply just become king while there's another king on the throne, and so Absalom must lead a revolt and an attack. You can read more about this in the book of 2 Samuel. But in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, we we begin to see some of Absalom's plans playing out. Let me just read a portion of this to you right now. 2 Samuel 15, 13, and 14 says, Then an informer came to David and reported, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. 
David said to all the servants with him in Jerusalem, Get up, we have to flee, or we will not escape from Absalom. Leave quickly, or he will overtake us quickly. Heap disaster on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. I want you to think about this for a moment. Regardless of kingship, at, at, at the very basic level in, in this account of David and Absalom, we have a, a son chasing after his father, trying to kill him, and a father running for his life from his son. You know, sin is an ugly thing, and so we really have this great reminder here. Sin is destructive. Absalom had become overcome with the sin of pride, believing that not only would he make a better king than his father, but that he deserved to be king, that, that he deserved to be on the throne. And so this sin of pride led Absalom to gather supporters and to chase after his father so that he could overtake him and kill him. Sin is destructive. And I think this is an important truth for us to be reminded of, that sin is destructive because I think all too often we minimize sin in our life and we think, man, this really is just kind of a small thing. This really is just not that big of a deal. But when we allow sin to reign in our life, when we fail to root that sin out, according to the book of James, sin grows until it gives birth to death. Absalom grew in his pride for four years until his desire to overtake the throne, ultimately it gave birth to something destructive. It gave birth to death. And so we're reminded of this truth then. Since sin is destructive, we're reminded, don't let sin reign in your life. Don't let sin reign in your life, whether it's a sin of pride, whether it's a sin of lust, whether it's a sin of greed, whatever that sin might be in your life, don't let that sin reign in your life. Rather, turn that sin over to the Lord. Allow for the Lord to root that out of your life that it might not bring destruction in your life or in the lives of those around you. But here's the beautiful thing. As we look at this account of, of Absalom and David, here we have the son pursuing the father with a broken relationship with the father trying to kill him. But when we look to Christ, we see the son pursuing the world, not trying to destroy us, but, but his desire is to give us that right relationship, to bring healing to our relationship with the father that through Christ we might have victory, that through Christ we might be set free from the sin that destroys us. So let me just pause right here and say this. When we let sin reign in our life, it destroys us. But when we let Jesus reign in our life, he restores us. Let me say that again. When we let sin reign in our life, it destroys us. But when we let Jesus reign in our life, he, re he restores us. And God's desire is that we would turn from our sin, turning to him, that we might be set free, that we might receive that victory, that we might have that restored relationship with the Father. So now we come back to Psalms chapter 5. This song is really a prayer that David is singing before the Lord. In the midst of David's adversaries, in the midst of being pursued, not simply by by. Absalom, but also by all of those that Absalom has gathered against him, he sings a song asking God for victory, like the song, We Are the Champions, but, but it's also a song of rejoicing, 
like the hallelujah chorus. With that in mind, let's read this psalm now. Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. David said, Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them, and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, you Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, I want to start by highlighting what we see in verses 1 and 2. This is how he starts off this song. This is how he starts off this prayer. He says, listen to my words, Lord, consider my sign, pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. Now, this is certainly a low moment in David's life. This is a low moment in David's reign as king as his son is trying to have him killed as his son tries to overtake his throne. And so as David's on the run, even though he has... Those with him, his servants with him, this is a very lonely place to be. And so David uses these words here. He says, listen, consider, pay attention. As David finds himself in a lonely place, his desire is to be seen and heard not just by anybody, but by God himself. Listen, maybe you came here today feeling just like David in a very lonely place. It may not be that you're being chased down. It may not be that people are trying to kill you. At least I hope not. But, but maybe it does feel like the world is against you. Or maybe it feels like those that should be closest to you, they are the ones that are against you. Maybe you feel like nobody loves you. Maybe you feel alone. So I want you to hear me today. You have a God that knows you. You have a God that sees you. And you have a God that hears you. You have a God that knows you, you have a God that sees you, and you have a God that hears you. David entered into God's presence with full confidence, knowing that when he cried out to God, asking for God to listen, that God would, in fact, listen. That when he asked God to pay, pay attention, he knew that God would pay attention. David knew that although his son was against him, although there were others that were after him, David knew that he could go to God and that God would see him and hear him. So let me say this again. You have a God that knows you. You have a God that sees you. And you have a God that hears you. And so because David had full confidence that God knew him. Because David had full confidence that God saw him. Because, because David had full confidence that God would 
hear him. David continued to cry out to God in verses 3 through 12. And I believe that in these next few verses, we see some very rich truths that we can apply to our life. Rich truths as David continues this song, knowing that we have a God that knows us, that sees us, and that hears us. So first, knowing that he knows us, sees us, and hears us, we should start every day with God. Knowing that, that we have a God that knows us, sees us, and hears us, we should start every day with God. Let's look at verse 3 again. It says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. We should start every day with God. In other words, before we do anything else, we should begin our day with God. Now, now this might look different for everyone, right? It, it may be that you simply wake up and, and, and your thoughts and, and your, you are, are immediately turned to prayers to the Lord. You, you immediately begin those conversations with God, crying out to God in the morning. And, and as, you, as you begin those conversations with God, you allow those prayers to impact all of the other conversations that you might have throughout the day with others, that, that it would impact your actions throughout the day. But I also think that we shouldn't neglect the, the study of God's word as well as we strive to spend time with the Lord. But I will say, I do think that, that you should find the best time of day that works for you. Don't do it when you're going to fall asleep and you're not going to take in God's word. Find that best time. Maybe it is in the morning, maybe it's in the afternoon, maybe it's later in the day, but find that time that you can go to God's Word, that you can study God's Word, that you can get God's Word into your life. But, but for some and for many, it may be that the morning really is the best time of day. That as you're starting those conversations with God in prayer, that you go to God's Word, that you open up God's Word, that you begin to study God's Word. That before you do anything else, that not only, begin you, not only do you begin your day talking with God, but you begin your day allowing Him to speak to you through His Word. I'll be honest, for several years, the first thing that I would do when I woke up in the morning is I would grab my phone and I would open up Facebook and I would just begin scrolling through Facebook. And God convicted me one day that, that, that I was going to see what everyone else had to say before I was going to see what he had to say. That I was letting everybody else have a voice in my life before I was giving him a voice in my life, that, that I was letting everyone else's words impact my day when I needed to let his word to begin impacting my day. And so this is what I did to break that habit. First, I moved the Facebook app to a different place on my phone, and I put the Bible app right in the place that the Facebook app used to be. So that in the morning when I grabbed my phone, I would naturally click on that same spot that I would open up the Bible and begin starting my day by reading God's word. And so for several years now, I've simply begun each day by going to his word, by allowing God's voice to be the very first voice that I hear, by allowing God's word to be the very first words that impact each and every day. So let me just pause right here and ask, what's preventing you from starting every day with God? What's preventing you from starting every day with God and what can you do to change that? As we think about our conversations with God being the most important conversations of our day, what's stopping us from allowing those 
from being the very first conversations of our day? And what can we do to, to change that? As David cries out in prayer, he says, I start every day with you. It's in the morning, Lord, that you hear my voice. But I also want to highlight what he says at the very end of verse 3. As he starts out each morning with God, he says, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. I want you to hear this. David prayed expectant prayers. David prayed expectant prayers. In other words, David knew that, that what he asked God to do, God had the power and the authority to do it. So let me just ask, do you know that, that your God has the power and the authority to answer our prayers? Do you know that, that your God has the power and authority to answer our prayers? Now, I don't mean that God's going to answer every outlandish prayer that we might have. But when we pray in line with God's word, when we pray in line with God's will, God has the power and authority to answer those prayers. And I believe that not only does he have the power and the authority to, but when we pray in line with his word and in line with his will, I believe he wants to answer those prayers. And so David prays these expectant prayers. He says, when I cry out to you, I pray, and then I watch expectantly. He prays expectant prayers. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but let me say it again. I think all too often we have become accustomed to accepting the mundane instead of expecting the miraculous. We have become accustomed to accepting the mundane instead of expecting the miraculous. I think if we're honest, many times when we pray, maybe we hope God's going to answer, but, but we don't pray with that heart of expectancy, expecting that God is going to be faithful to his will and faithful to his word, that he will answer our prayers. So let me just be very transparent with you as your pastor. I, I made this statement a couple of weeks ago that, that we, should, we should expect the miraculous, that we shouldn't accept the mundane, that, that we should expect God to do the miraculous. And, and the illustration that I gave two weeks ago was, that, uh, the, was, was of our time of response, the invitation time at the end of the service, that we should begin to expect to see Multiple people responding on Sunday mornings because as we cry out to God, asking for God to move, asking for God to seek and save the lost, that we should expect him to move. We should expect him to do what he desires to do. And if we believe that, then we should pray those prayers and we should pray those prayers with expectancy. So I used that as an illustration two weeks ago, but, but I have to be honest. I have to admit this. Last Sunday, going into the morning, I knew it was a holiday weekend. I knew that many people were going to be out on vacation. I knew that attendance was going to be low. And I just have to personally admit that I went into last Sunday somewhat expecting the mundane. Somewhat just expecting to go through the routines of Sunday morning. Instead of doing what I said to do instead of expecting the miraculous. And yet it was last Sunday morning that we had not just one person come forward to give their life to Christ, not just two, but three individuals came to give their lives to Christ to say they were ready to follow the Lord. The Pavelic family, Jason, Chelsea, and Jerry, all responded last Sunday morning saying, we want Jesus to be the Lord of our life. And I have to admit... I was not expecting that. That caught me off guard. I had said, let's pray those prayers and let's pray them with expectancy. But, but I myself 
Here I was going through the motions, expecting and accepting the mundane instead of expecting the miraculous. Now, let me also say this. Thank God that he is bigger than my lack of expectations. Thank God that even when I am not faithful, he is still faithful to his will and to his word. Thank God that even though I went into the service accepting and expecting the mundane, God still did the miraculous. Let me tell you, when we start each day with God, when we lay our requests before the Lord, we should go to God with those requests with a heart of expectancy, knowing that God has the power and the authority to answer our prayers when they are in line with his will, when they are in line with his word. And so as we think about God knowing us, God hearing us, and God seeing us, what's stopping us from laying our hearts and laying our requests before the Lord with a heart of expectancy, knowing that he has that power and authority to answer our prayers? Imagine what every day would be like if we would begin our day, start our days with prayers of expectancy. So we should start every day with God. Second, Knowing that God knows us, sees us, and hears us, we should be led by God. Let's read verse 8 again. It says, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me. We should be led by God. Now, David prays, as David prays to be led by God, he's specifically praying that, that God would lead him in righteousness. Now, as we think about that word righteousness, many times we may think about it as simply being uh, doing good or, or doing the right thing. And, and there is an aspect to biblical righteousness tied to doing the right thing, walking in obedience to the Lord. But, but really, as we see that word righteousness in Scripture, really there's a deeper meaning, a, a deeper understanding of that word. So let me just give you a simple biblical definition of righteousness. Biblical righteousness means having a right standing before God. Biblical righteousness means having a right standing before God. And this is even more clear as we think about the description of the wicked that, that, and God's relationship with the wicked in verses 4 through 6. We see that the wicked cannot dwell with God. The wicked cannot stand in God's sight. And so as David is running from his enemies and, and even praying for God to take care of his enemies, David recognizes that that apart from God's love, apart from God's mercy, he also would be unable to stand in God's presence. Because our sin, our wickedness, the wickedness of mankind separates us from a holy God. So David recognizes, apart from God's faithful love, I also would be in the same boat of the wicked. I would not be able to stand in your presence. And so in the midst of his prayer, in the midst of this song, David's reminded not of his own righteousness, not of self-righteousness, but he's reminded of the righteousness that is received only by walking with and being led by God. And this is still true for us today. You know, our own works, our own good deeds will not save us. They will not give us right standing before God. Doing the religious things, church attendance, that's not going to give us right standing before God. God, only God's faithful love can lead us in righteousness. And God extended and confirmed his love, his faithful love to us through Jesus Christ when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus died for your sins and mine. And it is 
truly only through the cross that we can receive that righteousness, that we can receive that right standing before the Lord. And so the question that we have today is, do you have that right standing before God? Has there been a time in your life that you have declared Jesus Christ as your Lord? Not simply do you attend church, but have you made Jesus the Lord of your life, giving, giving you that right standing before God? And if you haven't, then my prayer is that today would be that day for you. That today you would allow the Lord to lead you in his righteousness. But really this is true, not just, not just before we give our lives to Christ, but even after we give our lives to Christ, we still need to be led by God. We still need to be led in his righteousness. We still need to turn from our sins. We still need to turn from our temptations that we wouldn't be led down the, the same paths that we once followed when we, were, when we were in our wickedness. But now we need to be led by God, being led in his righteousness. So let me just pause right here and ask, are you being led by God today? Are you allowing God to lead you in his righteousness that you would turn from your sins, that you would walk in the ways that he would have you to walk, that you would walk in obedience to him. Listen, there's nothing that we can hide from God because he, he knows us, he sees us, and he hears us. And so knowing that, we need to lay all of our heart before the Lord, that he might root out the things in our life that don't belong, that we might be led by him, that we might be led in his righteousness. So we need to start every day with God. We need to be led by God. Finally, this morning, knowing that he knows us, sees us, and hears us, we should take refuge in God. We should take refuge in God. Well, let's look at verse 11 again. It says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout forever. We should take refuge in God. Now, once again, we see in verses 9 and 10 the contrast of the wicked. The wicked will face destruction. The wicked will face punishment. Now, sometimes that punishment and destruction happens on this side of eternity. Sometimes God waits to deal with those things until that side of eternity. But either way, David recognizes that, that God will deal with the wicked justly in his own way, in his own time. Sometimes I think we need to be reminded of that. As we look at the wickedness in the world, sometimes we just need to be reminded God will deal with the wickedness justly in his own way, in his own time. Whether it's dealt with on this side of eternity or on that side of eternity, we can rest assured that we have a just God and he will deal with that wickedness in his own way and in his own time. And so in the midst of being chased by his enemies, in the midst of his own son trying to kill him, David says, I will still rejoice in you. I will sing hallelujah. I will still have joy because my joy is found in the refuge of God. My joy is found in the refuge of God. When your joy is found in the refuge of God, you have a joy that cannot be stolen. Let me say that again. When you have a joy that is found in the refuge of God then you have a joy that cannot be stolen. Even if it seems like the world is against you, even if it seems like everyone else is against you, maybe it even seems like the wicked are winning, 
you can still rest in God and you can still be filled with joy. You can trust God that he will deal with the wicked justly. And so we don't have to worry about that. We can still be filled with joy. Listen, as we look out at the world, I understand there's a lot of things to say, man, it is hard to be joyful in these times. But remember, our joy does not come from the things in this world. Our joy does not come from the wickedness of man. Our joy comes from a holy God. And so when our joy is found in him, when we take refuge in him, regardless of what's happening around us in the world, we can still walk in joy regardless. We don't have to worry about that. We can trust that God will deal with it in his own way, in his own time. All we have to do is take refuge in him and find that joy in him. We have a God that knows us. We have a God that sees us. We have a God that hears us. Knowing that this is true, may this be a soundtrack for our life. Now, as we get ready to close today, I want to remind you that in order to truly take refuge in God, you can only do that through Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came into this world, so that we could turn to him, turn away from the wickedness that separates us from him, allowing him to be our Lord, allowing him to transform us, allowing him to give us that right standing with him. And so if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then I would invite you to respond during this invitation time. And let me just tell you, I expect it this week, right? I didn't expect it last week, but I am expecting it this week. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, then you can do that today. In just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, if you would say, that's me, I've never given my life to Christ, but today I recognize the sin that separates me from a holy God, but I'm ready to turn from that sin, turning to Jesus Christ, allowing him to be the Lord of my life. If you're ready to make Jesus your Lord, then as we sing this song, I would invite you to respond. I'm going to be standing right down front. You can join me down here. We can talk. We can pray. Today can be the day that you are given that right standing before the Lord, not in your own righteousness, but in his righteousness. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ, but I've never taken that step of obedience with baptism, just like Christy and Peyton did this morning. If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well so that we can make that commitment together. We can get you on the schedule. We've got another baptism next week, but I'd love to schedule yours as well. Maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ. I've already been baptized by immersion. And I know that God's calling me to make this church body my church home. Maybe you've been visiting First Baptist Church Stockdale. But God's calling you to connect your life with this body of believers here. If God's calling you to make First Baptist Church Stockdale your home, then I would invite you to respond as well. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, though, I would just encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you and have a great week.